0: Okay, let me just send some love to everybody on all of our campuses and all of you who are watching at uh, Compassion Online. We're glad to have you with us today. Man, this is a really exciting week. Uh, We've got Go Team leaders on every campus lining up teams for 23 domestic and foreign mission trips that we will execute, you know, in the summer and in the fall. And man, I am thrilled about that. I hope you are. I hope you'll pray about whether God might want you to be on one of those trips, or you to serve in one of those special ways. And man, that door will be open so you can talk to anybody at any of our campuses and get squared away on that today. Hey, who's glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Come on, everybody. Let's thank God, shall we? Man, we love you. We're so thankful for everybody who's worshiping with us here today. And friends, I'm going to share something with you today that literally will be life-changing, whether you are with us at one of our campuses today or whether you're watching online on another continent. But before I do, let me just remind you of what's coming up. Next week, we'll be celebrating Passion Week. We'll be giving Jesus the honor he deserves because he died on the cross in our place. And then the week after that will be our Easter celebration. And friends, I can't wait. Man, I'm telling you, this year we've added lots of new services and overflow spaces to accommodate everybody so we can social distance and, you know, welcome our community to worship here. And I want to thank everybody who's volunteered to help us with all these new services, uh, helping us make a place for our community to get in here. And listen, if you haven't volunteered yet, it's not too late. Man, you can go to Connecting Point. We'll get you locked in and get you uh, set up to help us with that. We've also provided literally tens of thousands of these invitations for you to hand out to your friends, your neighbors, the people you work with, your classmates, the folks at your company. Uh, and man, I hope you will just grab a handful of these things. And man, let's get the good news out. Because you've got to know that anxiety and depression and suicide are growing in our culture at a prolific rate because of the isolation and the illness and the death that COVID has brought on us. And then the division in our culture. And friends, I'm telling you, faith in Jesus is the one thing I know that will position you to be anxious for nothing. So, man, let's reach out to our neighbors and our friends and invite them to come and celebrate Easter with us. And I'm telling you, uh, God does things when we're together together that you just will not experience if you don't gather with us. So our doors are open. Uh, We're going to be wearing our mask and physical distancing out of consideration for other folks. And listen, if you're thinking about coming back for the first time over Easter and you're still afraid of crowds and, you know, you come in and you see somebody who doesn't have a mask on, that will be pretty rare. But if that freaks you out, just don't sit by them. It's a big building. Just don't sit by them. Uh, you'll be able to find a place. Almost everybody is putting others first by making this a safe a place as possible for people to hear a life-changing message of good news. And friends, I hope, the, I hope this will be our best Easter ever. Now, friends, as we get close to the end of our Rooted series on the seven spiritual disciplines that make us spiritually strong, today's message is going to get you ready for Jesus to use you to reach your friends who don't know him yet. And so today, I'm going to train you. I'm going to train you to do the most powerful thing that you can do to lead somebody to a life-changing relationship with Jesus, and that is to share your story. Now, friends, our church exists to lead people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus, That's why we're here. We got that mission from Jesus, so it is never going to change. Man, if you're brand new to our church and you wonder why we do some of the stuff we do, that's the reason right there. This is our mission statement. Let's say it all together like lions. Come on, big voice. Compassion Christian Church exists to lead people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Now, friends, I got two prayers today. I'm praying that today, when you leave this place, you will feel compelled to share your story of how you came to know Jesus, because I'm telling you that's one of the most powerful gifts that you have to give the people that you know and care about. And I'm also praying that there will be hundreds of us here and online who will start our story of a life-changing relationship with Jesus and be baptized into him in the next three weeks. So let's start out by talking about the power of sharing your story. Several years ago, I had two preacher friends who attended a church leadership conference up in Illinois. And one day, they were in a session on sharing your faith. It was taught by a lady who was on staff at that church. And during her session, she began to talk about some of her neighbors. Uh, she was talking about people she was trying to influence her Christ, people that we would call her one. Now, you know, that's what we call that person, that one person, that you're praying that God will use you to lead to Jesus. So, you know, your one might be your friend, might be your parents, your children, your classmates, your co-workers, whatever. But, you know, we encourage every compassion Christian to just pick out a friend who you know that does not know the Lord, and then you pray that Jesus will give you an opportunity to lead that one to Jesus, that's your one. So anyway, this presenter is talking about a neighbor that she'd been trying to reach for Christ, and she specifically called this guy by name. Well then, a couple of days later, my two pastor friends go out to play golf, and the golf was a little bit slow, and so eventually they caught up with another couple guys who were playing golf, and they joined up, and they made it a foursome, and they finished the round together. But when one of the new guys said what his name was, my friends looked at each other because they recognized that's the name of the guy that lady mentioned in her talk. That's her neighbor. I mean, this this guy is her one. And they didn't say anything about it, but they were just blown away by this. I mean, three million people live in Chicagoland, over 100 golf courses up there, and we get matched up with the one guy that that lady said she'd been praying for? Dude, this is what we call a divine appointment. All right. God is setting stuff up and he is at work. But then the guy says, what are y'all doing in Chicago? And they said, well, we're here for a church leadership conference. And they talked about the church for a few minutes. And he said, you know, my neighbor actually works at that church. And he called her name. Have, have you had a chance to have you guys ever heard of her? And they wanted to say, well, we have heard of her and we heard of you, too, bro. Uh, but they didn't say that. You know, they just said, no, we heard her speak a couple of days ago. And man, she was awesome. Right. So the conversation goes on for a while. And at some point, that guy asked my buddy how he got in the (laughs) ministry. And let me tell you, that is an amazing story. Now, if you think maybe you've committed so much sin and you are so contaminated by sin that God could never forgive you or Jesus would never use you, you need to listen to this story. My pastor friend in in his past life, was a very successful banker in Kentucky, but he developed an obsessive addiction to gambling. And one of the horrible outcomes of his addiction is that he embezzled hundreds of thousands of dollars from the bank where he worked and lost it all gambling. And when he realized that uh, were about to catch him on this, he wrote a suicide note, left it in the kitchen for his family, grabbed the pistol, got in his car, drove out of town, literally intending to take his own life. And when he got out there and tried to do it, he just couldn't do it. He just couldn't do it. And so he came back to the house. Well, while he was gone, his wife found the suicide note. She called the police. They were all there when he got home. Uh, The whole thing came came out. He had to face the music, and he went to prison. Now, while he was in prison, Wayne Smith, who was the preacher of a church in Kentucky called Southland Christian Church, went and visited him in prison and led him to a life-changing relationship with the Lord. Now, this golfing buddy was just riveted by this story. He said, man, my own father has been such a compulsive gambler. Our family has suffered so much because of my dad's obsession. He said, man, how on earth were you ever able to conquer this addiction? And my friend explained that, you know, I mean, as he told the worst personal failure of his life. He said, you know, I humbled myself and I gave my life to Jesus. And because I did, I began to pray about my addiction and I acknowledged that I had an addiction and I began to take some steps. But honestly, it all started with my relationship with Jesus. That's what delivered me from slavery to gambling. And so when he got out of prison, he went to that church, joined the church. Uh, Man, he volunteered in a ministry that calls on people who are in the hospital and it just lit him up. He loved it. He enjoyed calling on people and praying with them. It, It just gave him so much joy, more than he'd ever had before. And he said, I was walking out of the hospital one day and I realized I have not even thought about gambling for months. Well, this story just intrigued this guy, right? And so that night, my buddies go back to the church and they find this lady who had told them about this man and told her what had happened. And when they told her what they had done that day, she began to just weep. She could not believe how God had worked all of this together so that my buddy could share his story with her one on a golf course 400 miles from his house. And when my buddy got back to Kentucky, man, he sent a recording of his entire testimony to this guy. And a few weeks later, the lady reached out to him and said, You know what? My neighbor gave his life to Christ and was baptized into Christ today. Anybody want to praise the Lord? Man, awesome, 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 right? Now, friends, I say all that to say this. You will never know how God can use your story to win somebody to Jesus unless you share it. You got to share your story. And, friends, I'm going to train you how to do that. Now let's dissect what happened in that story I just told you. This guy's neighbor, pastor, planted a seed in his mind and in his heart, and then her prayers for her one, along with the prayers of other people, provided the power. And then my friend shared the most embarrassing part of his story, and who would have guessed that he was the one person this neighbor could relate to, and God used that story to lead him to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. But the point here is, There's something very compelling about your story. And it doesn't matter how embarrassing it is. Or it doesn't matter how bland you think it is. Friends, your story has a unique power that God can use. And let me tell you why. Your story is powerful because people can see the difference Jesus made in your life is real. And that is very difficult to refute. Now, you know, people can take pot shots at organized religion all day long. People can bash big churches. Happens every day. People can even point out your failures and your mistakes. But man, when you humbly share how much, how much difference knowing Jesus has made for you. Dude, if you're real, I'm not talking about perfect now. But if you're real, your faith is real. Your life change story is very difficult to dismiss. And it plants a seed that God can use sometimes years later to save somebody and sometimes bam, immediately. You know, we had a, uh, I had a conversation with a soldier last week who told me that he found Jesus at our church. And when he did, he talked to his commanding officer about coming to our church for his baptism. And when he did that, that officer asked him some very pointed theological questions about our church. And my friend said, sir, I'm brand new. I don't know the answer to any of those questions. I just know that my life has been changed because I found a personal relationship with Jesus at Compassion Christian. And his colonel did come to our church and loved it. Why? Because of the testimony of a ranger, a brand new believer who humbly and honestly admitted how little he knew, and then shared how much of a difference Jesus had made in his life. Now, let's go to the Bible. And let's study somebody who shares their story under the most difficult possible circumstances because I'm telling you, it's exactly the same thing my buddy did in Chicago and it's the same thing that ranger did right here in Savannah. So open your Bible to Acts chapter 26. Acts 26, listen, if you don't have a Bible, there's one just like this on a chair somewhere near you on every one of our campuses. Uh, If you're new to the Bible, turn to page 930. If you get the blue version of this, turn to 935. It's almost the same place, all right? And then just leave it open because, friends, I'm going to take you through the whole story of how the Apostle Paul, you know, a guy whose life was radically changed by Jesus, I'm going to take you through his entire testimony. He had a really hard past and a life that was radically changed by Christ. Now, Paul's testimony is recorded three times in the book of Acts. His testimony is in Acts chapter nine and in Acts chapter 22 and in Acts chapter 26. And friends, he customizes his story to fit the unique opportunity every time. In in Acts chapter nine, he's a new believer and he's sharing how Jesus changed him in Jerusalem where he used to persecute people before he became a Christian. And now he's saying, look, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm so sorry, we're brothers and sisters now. You're my people, please believe this. And then in Acts chapter 22, he is sharing his story in handcuffs. I mean, in front of a hostile crowd of Jewish enemies that hate him because they don't like what he believes. And yet he shares his testimony hoping he'll be able to lead them to Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 26, He's been in prison for over a year because of his faith. And he is talking to the most powerful man in Israel, hoping he can speak truth to power in a life-changing way. And he is literally going to try to lead the man who put him in prison to Christ. Paul's a cowboy, y'all. I'm telling you, he's a cowboy man. And he's going to customize his story for each audience he ever meets. But essentially, he tells exactly the same story all three times. And friends... If you are a follower of Jesus, you should learn from his example and prepare to follow it. Prepare to follow it. Okay? So in Acts chapter 26, Paul's been in prison because of his faith. He's now appearing before King Agrippa. Everybody say Agrippa. Agrippa Agrippa comes from a royal family that is famous for the abuse of power. His great-grandfather was Herod the Great, who literally killed every baby under two years of age around Bethlehem when Jesus was born, trying to assassinate the Lord Jesus. His grandfather was Herod, who had John the Baptist beheaded at the end of a drunken party to impress some dancing girl. His daddy was Herod Agrippa I, who had the apostle James beheaded, just pandering to the enemies of the church, making James the first of the 12 apostles who died a martyr's death right after Paul got saved. And then this guy, This guy, Agrippa, he's a political puppet for the Roman Empire. And he knows if he doesn't pay off those folks who put him in power, he will lose his power, which makes him a dangerous man. I mean, somebody, Paul, better not take lightly. So just think about this. Paul is face-to-face with the most powerful man in Israel, and he has an opportunity to negotiate his release from prison or to try to lead this guy to Christ. Now watch what happens next, because this guy's gutsy. And friends, I think that we can learn from Paul, you know, three moves that every one of us can make as we try to share our story with other folks. Paul starts out in this story by building a bridge. He just starts out by building a bridge. Man, Paul does not assume that you will ever lead anybody to Christ without building a bridge first. Now it can happen, but I tell you, it would be very rare. So look at what he does in verse one. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. And Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. He says, King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today and make my defense against all of the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and the Jewish controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Now, friends, look at how gracious Paul is to the politician who has allowed him to languish in prison unfairly for over a year. But at the same time, look at how intentional he is in this conversation. Man, Paul starts out by building a bridge with respect. He's showing respect. He's being polite. Now, you know, in our day, some people feel like it's a personal right to be as nasty and denigrating to anybody you disagree with, as nasty as you want to be, especially if they're in politics. But man, that's not what Jesus taught. You know, one of the most powerful traits of every follower of Christ is unconditional love, right? I mean, Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And friends, love is most powerful when you're shown it to somebody who doesn't expect it. And that's what Paul does to Agrippa. He gives this king more grace than he deserves. You know, Frederick Buechner says that kindness is not the same thing as holiness But it's one of the doors through which holiness enters our world. And I'm telling you, Paul uses respect and kindness to open a door. And let me just tell you, there is no positive mileage in bashing somebody's past mistakes or bashing somebody's past faith background. Not if if your desire is to share the love of Christ with them. I'm telling you, the kinder you are, the more doors will open for you. And then Paul just tries to connect where he can. Now, man, look at how Paul is trying to find a connection with this guy. Now, you might be thinking, again, what in the world do these guys have in common? I mean, one's rich, one's poor, one's a politician, one's a pastor, one's free, one's a prisoner. Well, Paul starts looking for common ground, and you know what? He finds it. Look at this text again. He says in verse two, King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against these accusations from the Jews, and especially so because I know you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and the controversies they create. Paul says, I'm fortunate. You know what that word means? Blessed. Why does he think he's blessed? Well, because Agrippa is Jewish and he understands that Jewish background. And so Paul can say, now, you know, King Agrippa, (laughs) we both know that our people have been looking for a Messiah for a long time. I mean, look at verse six. And now it is because of my hope and what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. King, it is because of this hope that the Jewish people are accusing me. I mean, why should anybody consider it incredible that God raises the dead? What's he doing? He's saying, King Agrippa, you're smart. You understand the controversy that got me arrested. I think our Messiah has come and he was crucified by the Romans and rose from the dead on the third day. And his name is Jesus. And everybody in Jerusalem is talking about it. But these people who had me arrested, they don't want to hear about that. And your majesty, you and I both know how quick these Jewish leaders are to just try to cancel anybody who disagrees with them. And so friends, he's not just flattering this man. Paul's trying to build rapport. He's trying to break down barriers. He's trying to create a way for them to connect. And listen, you just never know how God will use you if you will make an effort to connect. You know, I had a buddy from the church here who went out to Vegas for a home builders convention a few years ago. And he told me he was going to Vegas. So I challenged him to visit the church of a buddy of mine while he was out there. And he decided to do that. So on Wednesday night, he got a cab to take him out to the church. And then he invited the cab driver to come with him. He said, man, listen, come with me. The guy goes, I can't. He said, no, you can leave the meter running. Uh, you can charge me for the whole time if you'll just come with me. And so the cab driver did. And when he went into the service, he noticed that the cabbie got emotional. And then on the way home, he told my friend, he said, you know, I gave my life to Christ at this church several months ago, but I made a terrible mistake and I've been too ashamed to come back. And that service reached him and made him want to come home. Why? <laughs> because a couple of crazy business guys from Savannah looked for an opportunity to connect with a stranger, having no idea how God had already teed this thing up. And friends, I'm telling you, Paul shows us here that no matter how hard the situation is, you can find a way to make a spiritual connection if you're looking for one. So once Paul connects with Agrippa, then he starts sharing his story. Now, friends, Paul is going to put on a clinic for us about how to share our story, and we can learn from his example. The first thing Paul does is talk about how life was before I met Jesus. Let's talk about, let's say this all together. Y'all ready? Here we go. How life was before I met Jesus. That's part one of your story. Now, Paul's going to talk about the B.C. part of his life, before he had a relationship with Christ. Look at verse 9. He says, King Agrippa, (laughs) dude, I used to be just like the guys who locked me up. I, too, was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. Man, on the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the saints in prison. And man, when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Listen, in Acts chapter 7, we read about the first Christian martyr. His name was Stephen. And Paul was right there voting that guy's death in. I mean, it was kind of an amazing thing. He said... Next slide. Next slide. Many a time, he said, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. Man, I tried to force these believers to blaspheme. I mean, in my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. Now, don't you know, this is the most embarrassing thing in his past, that he actually killed people who believe just what he believes now? That he tracked them down in Jerusalem and other cities trying to humiliate these folks? Now, this is his story. This is what his life was like before he came to Christ. He was a gangster, all right? Now, you might be thinking, Cam, dude, if I had a dramatic story like that, I'd tell it too. Maybe God would use, but I don't have that kind of story. Hey, God can use any kind of story. I met this couple at Seacoast Church in Charleston last week. Sarah and I were up in Charleston visiting my mom. And this is Robert and Kathy, okay? Uh, Robert and Kathy saw us in the parking lot at that church, Slam the brakes on, roll the window down. Pastor Cam, we used to go to Compassion Christian. I was like, what? They said, yeah, you baptized us, man. Come sit with us. And man, we did. And we had the best time with these guys. And you know what they did? They told us their story. They told us how the army moved them here to Savannah. And then somebody invited them to Compassion and how they found a, a personal relationship with Jesus for the very first time here. Robert told me, he said, Cam, I grew up in church, man. I was the altar boy till I was nine years old, but nothing happened in here. I was just going through the motions. Man, I never even knew I needed a personal relationship with Jesus. But boy, when I came to Compassion, I just got hit with that message over and over and over again. And then finally, Kathy and I humbled ourselves and we put our faith in Jesus and you baptized us into Christ. And Jesus has changed everything for us. He's made so much difference in our lives. Now, they left our church in, in 2016 because the army moved them. And everywhere the army has moved them, they have made a difference for Christ in every single place. Now, think about that story. Think about his BC part of the story. He had religion, but he's just going through the motions. It was no, no heart for him. No life change. It made no difference. That was the BC part of his life. But guys, think about how many people can track with that story. I mean, that's my story. And friends, I was a religious person who was just as lost as that gambling, suicidal banker or this ruthless, persecuting Pharisee. And let me tell you, lost is lost. But after Paul shares what his life was like before Christ, then he shares, hey, here's how I met Jesus. Say it with me, everybody. How I met Jesus, that's part two. Here's what what my life was like before Christ, and then here's how I met Jesus. Look at verse 12. In verse 12, Paul says, On one of these journeys I was going to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priest, and about noon, O king, as I was on the road, a bright light from heaven, brighter than the sun, was blazing all around me and my companions. And man, I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goats, isn't it? Now what in the world does that mean? That means that ever since he saw Stephen die, the Holy Spirit had been on him, working on him, convicting him, drawing him, helping him see how wrong he had been. And bro, when the Holy Spirit's on your trail, man, I'm telling you, you resist that's tough, man. Look at verse 15. He says, "Then I asked, "Who are you, Lord?" And the voice said, "I am Jesus whom you are persecuting." Now. Get up, stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I'm going to show you in the future. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. Dude, I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from the darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Bam! Listen, man, Paul came to crystal clarity on the road to Damascus for the very first time. He knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus was God. He now knew that Jesus had risen from the dead because he was talking to him on the road to Damascus years after the resurrection. And Paul suddenly realized Jesus is real. Man, I've been fighting for the wrong side all this time. And man, when Jesus became real in Paul's mind, I'm telling you, it turned his world upside down. Or maybe I should say right side up. Now in Acts chapter 9 and in Acts chapter 22, Paul tells about how Jesus said, okay, you go to Damascus and I'm going to send a man to you and he's going to show you how to put your faith in me and then you're going to be baptized into Christ. And friends, that is exactly what happened. And Paul's humble, life-changing response to Jesus was obedience. It was obedience. Lord, you're the master. I'm the servant. You're the only one who can save. If you say it, I will do it. I will obey. Can I just tell you, that's how I met Jesus. Very similar. I grew up in a Christian family. I'm thankful for that. I I went to church every week Man, even as a little boy, I knew the Bible. I knew all the stories. I thought I was going to heaven because I went to church all the time and because I was, you know, better than some of the other knuckleheads that I knew. And, you know, I mean, I just thought I'm good to go. And then one Wednesday night, I heard something that turned my world upside down. Somebody shared with me that there is no one righteous, not even one. What? You mean if you go to church, that's not good enough? That's not enough to make you right with God? No. No. Why? Why? Well, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All? Everybody. What about church kids? Everybody. What if you come from a Christian family? All have sinned and fallen short. What if you think you're better than average? All have sinned and fallen short. What if you try to do the right thing most of the time? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And about that time I realized, he's talking about me. (laughs) He's talking about me. And then Paul said, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Say it with me, everybody. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I knew that night for the first time in my life that I was not in Christ Jesus. I'd never asked to be in Christ. i never made any move to get in Christ. I knew I was a sinner and I was spiritually lost because my sin had separated me from God, I realized that night for the very first time that if I died, I would be doomed, doomed because the wages of my sin was death unless unless I asked God for a personal relationship with Jesus who would forgive me and accept me and give me the free gift of eternal life. And so, friend, I confess my need for a Savior I put my faith and my trust in what Jesus did for me on the cross and I was baptized into Jesus the next night. And that's how I met Jesus. And Paul told us how he met Jesus. How did you meet Jesus? How did you meet Jesus? Don't say it's because you went, to, I grew up in church. That don't, listen, living in a chicken house don't make you a chicken. Going to church don't make you a Christian. Can I hear amen? amen. Come on, man. I mean, ain't going to church. Tell me how you met Jesus. And if you don't know, Admit that to yourself. Now, here's here's the way this story works. Part one, how life was before. Everybody say before. Before. How life was before I met Jesus. Part two of your story, how I met Jesus. Everybody say how. How. Tell me this story. You should be able to tell this story. If you can't can't tell this story, you don't have a story. All right? And then number three is how life has been since you met Jesus. Everybody say since. Since. What has your life been like since you met Jesus? Now, of course, this is just the difference that knowing Jesus has made in your life. And look at how Paul says it in verse 19. He says in verse 19, So King Agrippa, you got to know, bro, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, and then to those in Jerusalem, and then to those in Judea, and then also to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent like I have done. Turn to God like what saved me. Prove their repentance by their deeds. And this is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But you know how life has been with me since I gave my life to Christ? I have had God's help to this very day. And that's why I stand here and testify to small and great alike. And Agrippa's going, what? Small and great? Did you talk about me? Yes. I'm talking about you. You need to know that the Christ is and he's clearly talking about Jesus here, would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, he will proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. And friends, I'm telling you, Paul is sharing the story of the amazing difference that Jesus made in his life. And I want to challenge you to do the same thing. I want to challenge you to write out your story this week. This week, and write out two versions of it, okay? You write out your story. Here's the first version, three minutes. A three-minute version, 300 words. You know, that, that's, a, that's a, a short sermon, and everybody loves those. Can you hear amen? You're not getting many of them here, but everybody loves it, all right? Just three, that's 100 words. Here's what I was like before I gave my life to Christ. Here's how I gave my life to Christ. Here's what life has been like since I gave my, Christ, my life to Christ. And then write out a 32nd version of your story. A 30, this is the elevator talk, Right? I mean, you get on the elevator, somebody punches 14 and says, you go to Compassion Christian? Why? Or I pull up in front of a restaurant and somebody sees a sticker on the back of my truck, Compassion Christian Church. You go to church there? Yeah. Why? Well, I got a lunch appointment, man. I ain't got time to to spend 30 minutes talking to you. So let me give you the 30 second version. Here's Here's the 30 second version of my story. You know, before I gave my life to Jesus, I was an angry man. And my anger made a fool out of me. It made a fool out of me in front of my family, my friends, every ball team I ever played on. It's embarrassing. My anger owned me. And then I met Jesus. And he has been making me a gentle man. And I could never do it on my own, but Jesus did. And you know what? Since I gave my life to Jesus, everybody who knows me sees the difference. Jesus was able to change what I could never change. And he's the only one who could. And he can change you too. So why don't you come to to Compassion with me and check it out. Now, do y'all see how I work that little invitation in there at the end? You know why I did that? Because that's what Paul does. Paul always expects a response. When he shares his story, he expects people to respond. Look at verse 28. In verse 28, Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you could persuade me to become a Christian? And then Paul says, short time or long, I pray that God would not only make you, but all these who are listening to me today, what I am, except for these chains. And that's a follower of Jesus. Now, friends, over the next three weeks, I hope you'll pray with me for two things. Number one, pray every day that Jesus will open a door for you to share your story. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a story. Dude, tell it, cowboy up, write it out. Before I was like this. Here's how I met Christ. Since then, boom. Get yourself ready. Pray for the Lord to open a door and then watch what happens, man. If you step up, you'll be amazed at what God will do. And if you don't have a salvation story, pray that you will humble yourself and give your life to Jesus this Easter. Now friends, the Sunday after Easter, we're going to have a big rooted celebration and we're going to call it baptisms everywhere. Man, you know because of this pandemic, we're going to have baptistries set up outside at every one of our campuses. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus and never been baptized into Christ, I pray that you will be baptized into Christ the week after Easter. And if you're ready sooner, dude, we can help you with that. If you're ready today, we can help you with that. Dude, talk to somebody after this service. Talk to them down front. Talk to them on the chat. Go to Connecting Point. But listen, man, half of our church is all over the place with Compassion Online, right? Right. And friends, if you're online and you're ready to start your story, we hope you will declare your faith in Jesus wherever you are, Africa, Asia, Alabama, any foreign country. You let us know on the chat, and we will coach you on how you can be baptized between now and Easter. Man, we have made an instructional video to help you out. And you can find it at CompassionChristian.com baptism we, this video will coach you through the whole process. And friends, if you're far away from you know, Savannah or you're still fearful of crowds, please, please don't let that delay you from putting your faith in Jesus and declaring that to the world through baptism. Man, I'm praying that we'll see people baptized in hot tubs and, and swimming pools and horse troughs. And please wash those out first, all right? Or, or the ocean, or, or lakes, or ponds, or rivers, or wherever. Listen, you don't need a pastor to baptize you. There's not a word in the New Testament that says you need a pastor to baptize you. you can, now, if you want one, call us. We'll get one to you wherever you are. We'll do our best. But I'll tell you, a parent could baptize you. A spouse could baptize you. A Christian friend could baptize you once you've put your faith in Jesus. And man, we hope you'll fill out this form on our website so that we can connect with you and disciple you and pray for you. And then we hope you will send us a picture or a video of your baptism. And dude, if you do, we will use it in our celebration week, the week after Easter. Now I know what some of y'all are thinking, Cam, this is a little different, man. This, uh, I never heard anything like this before. This is a little bit different. You know, when you start walking with the Lord, you need to get used to different. Can you hear amen? amen? Get used to it. The world is different, but the power of the gospel is not. And so for today, I'm praying that many of us will start our story or share our story so that your one can start their story. Father, thank you. Thank you for Paul's story. Thank you that he courageously shared it in a situation that could get him killed. And rather than shrink back, rather than run away, he boldly shared, Lord, what his life was like before Christ. And it was embarrassing. It had to be embarrassing for him. And then he shared how he came to know Jesus and what his life has been like ever since. And I pray God that everybody under the sound of my voice today will have that story and they'll familiarize themselves with it and share it so that other people can be moved by it and drawn to Christ by it. Father, we pray today that if there's anybody here who does not have a salvation story, that they will take a step today, that they will humble themselves That they will repent of that sin that has dominated their life in the past that they will give their lives to jesus and let the adventure begin and this is our prayer in the strong name of jesus and all god people said Amen. amen